I'm Paul Comfort, and this is Transit Unplugged. For this episode, I traveled to Dallas, Texas, and met with Gary Thomas, CEO of DART, Dallas Area Rapid Transit, at his office in downtown Dallas. Gary's focus on what the customers want is refreshing and leading him to fully adopt mobility as a service or mass as an approach for Dart's future with one agency-provided app serving as an aggregator of all mobility services in Dallas, public or private. Their GoPass, GoLink app will allow passengers to choose which mobility options they want based on cost or time and pay for all those trips on this one app. Great leadership for Dallas and our industry on this episode of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. I'm Paul Comfort and welcome to Transit Unplugged, where you get to hear from the top of the industry what's happening in the public transit arena. And today I'm excited to be in downtown Dallas at the headquarters of the Dallas Area Rapid Transit System, or DART, with Gary Thomas, their CEO. Thanks so much for having us in today, Gary. Paul, it's great to be here today. So Gary is one of the leaders, as you know, of our transit industry with one of the largest transit systems in North America. And uh, we always like to kick it off with a little bit about you, Gary. And so tell us a little about yourself and your career. <laughs> you came up through an engineering background, right? Well, I did. You know, I grew up in, uh, in Texas. I grew up in Fort Worth, went to school at uh, Texas Tech University in Lubbock. And um, one of the little known facts is I was actually born in Connecticut. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, not too far from where you're from. So uh, my accent doesn't necessarily give that away. But, uh, Interesting. But I, yeah. It reminds uh, me of the Bushes, right? Because Prescott <laughs> Bush was a senator from Connecticut, yeah. and then their oh, family yeah. moved yeah. down here. And here in Dallas is where W's library is. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. By the way, if you've never been to Dallas, you've got to go to the George W. Bush library because you can sit in the Oval Office. You can. Pick up the phone, everything. It's, it's amazing. It's a great library. Yeah, yeah. And best uh, one I've been to. But that's where the similarities probably Yeah, that's about, okay, yeah. <laughs> but you did rise to the top of your industry, kind of like he rose to the top of politics. So anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. So, <laughs> so uh, when I graduated from uh, Texas Tech, I had degrees in civil engineering and architecture, which as I uh, found out pretty quickly, Architects and engineers don't always get along. Nobody told me that, of course, as I was going through school. I worked in the engineering field for many years, and then in the uh, 1980s, uh, late 80s, the CEO of our company at the time, Lockwood Anders and Newham, which was based out of Houston, kept coming up to Dallas. He was visiting DART at the time and, and really trying to get his foot in the door and, and get some of the projects that were going, uh, going on here. And so he got that first project for our company at the time. And, and he came to me and he said, Gary, you're going to be the project manager. Don't screw this up. <laughs> and uh, and it, was a, it was a small transit center, Redbird Transit Center in the okay. southern part of Dallas. And that began a, uh, really a, a string of projects, certainly. But it began a transition for me as I had stepped into the transit world. So I'm an anomaly from the standpoint that I haven't been in the transit world for my entire career. I got into it in the uh, about 1986-87 timeframe okay. when I started uh, working on dark projects and worked on several bus facilities, worked on bus maintenance facilities, uh, and then also worked on the light rail projects. And that, uh, that kind of culminated on, on that side of the table uh, when our firm, our team, 
was selected to be the general engineering consultant for the next phase of the expansion of the light rail system. Okay. And that was in 97. So I was in the dark building starting in February of 1997, was here for about a year and a half or so, when my counterpart on the dark side of the table decided to retire. And, um, of course, they went through an interview process. And, and what's funny about that is they had some folks that came in from Chicago, came in from Boston, and the good news for me was that they brought those people in during, I think it was August. Okay. They brought those people in along with their spouses. Well, if you've ever been in Texas in August, it's rather warm. Yeah. And, and I think their spouses uh, got off the airplane and pretty quickly said, I am not moving here. I am not living here. It's like 180 degrees. And uh, so I guess by default, you know, I got yeah. that job and actually went to the dark side in 1998. Okay, and 20 years ago. 20 years ago, yeah. and was head of uh, Capital Projects. As a matter of fact, this month, uh, I'm celebrating my 20th anniversary Congrat- at DART. Congratulations, and, uh, that's was, awesome. Yeah, and, and I was in that role for about three years. And uh, my the, the uh, at that time, the head of the organization was Roger Snowball. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roger decided to move on to Los Angeles. And I applied for the, uh, the CEO position and uh, and here we are, um, 18 years later. Wow! I've uh, been the CEO of Dallas Area Rapid Transit. So you know, when when I graduated from college, uh, Paul, and and then stepped into this role, uh, I never really fully understood what was in store or what to, to anticipate. Um, but it's been a great ride. It's been a, a great opportunity to be uh, um, the steward of such a wonderful organization. That's and awesome. uh, somebody that uh, the taxpayers have said, okay, uh, we're going to let you lead it, bud. But as one of our state senators said to me many years ago, keep it clean, keep it safe, don't screw it up. <laughs> so I keep hearing that theme as I go through my career, but here we are many, wow. many years later. Well, you must be doing something right to stay CEO of a system like this through so many administrations and uh, through so many years. Yeah, it's, DART's a great place. We've got great people. So tell us about DART some. So let's talk about the structure of DART. So it doesn't encompass like many cities and your governing structure. Tell us about that. Absolutely. DART was created in 1983 when folks were asked to vote to dedicate a 1% sales tax to create an organization that they had no idea whether it was going to be successful or not. They knew there was a map. They'd been mm. shown this map and they said, this is what we're going to do. But they didn't know how successful it was. But but think about it. In 1983, people were asked to vote and dedicate a 1% sales tax to create a transit organization in North Texas because they knew that traffic was bad and it was getting worse. They knew the folks in the core part of Dallas were realizing that folks were moving out of the urban center. Of the, and we've seen that all over the country, of course. So for a variety of reasons, people were supportive of creating this organization to do different things, maybe to, to re-energize the core part of the city of Dallas, to, to provide transportation choices to people throughout the North Texas area. So you think about what could have happened in that kind of vote. Uh, it could have been a real Swiss cheese kind of mess. Uh, but as it turned out, we have a, a fairly consolidated service area that's made up of the city of Dallas and 12 suburbs. 
And so we have about 700 square miles, about 2.3 million people inside our service area. And of course, our service area is a subset of the Dallas-Fort Worth region, which has uh, today close to 7 million people in it. So we started off with that map. We started off with a vision. We started off identifying what we're going to do and how we're going to change and impact people's lives. And uh, that really set the tone. Now, there were a lot of expectations. Uh, there were a lot of debates early on about whether this should happen or not, you know, whether we should have a monorail or light rail. Oh, yeah, right. But we started with a bus system. Okay. We started with, uh, you know, we talk about BRT today. Right. We talked about then express routes, mm -hmm. as, as you are aware. And, and uh, we're going to connect these suburban cities to the core of Dallas through these express routes. And the express routes were very popular. So it was really building the bus network to begin with, and then working very closely with the community at large to develop and refine this rail plan that we'd shown them. And so we uh, were going down this path, and of course on, some, on one side of the table, there's this huge appetite for transportation choices. On the other side of the table, people were saying, well, not so fast. Do we really want to, I mean, it's the same argument we hear today. Right. Do we really want to invest that much money yeah. in, in this technology? And is that technology going to go away? And is it going to be obsolete next year? Right. That was, what, 35 years ago. Right. We so had, take us up to now. Where are you at now? So today we have the longest light rail system in North America. Amazing, man. Isn't it? Tell us about 93 that. 93 miles of light rail wow. on the ground. And, and all of it is, at the very worst, been built on schedule and on budget. At the very worst. And, and, That's a good way to say and, it. And when, I, and when I say that, absolutely. I know what you mean, yeah. We, uh, That's we amazing. Very, uh, very often ahead of schedule. Well, you've got budget. an engineer in charge of the agency. I mean, that's that's one of the great benefits of that, I imagine. Well, some people would say yes. Yeah. Some people <laughs> might suggest no. Uh, you know, it's the analytical part of me that right. uh, kind of gets in the way of a lot of decisions in some people's mind. But How but many I think people ride that on a daily basis? You know, you every day we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 to 300,000 people riding our system. Is it the whole system or just the light rail? The whole system. Okay, and, yeah. You know, on the light rail system, it's 100,000 people. Let me tell you a quick uh, quick story. October 17, 2009. Okay. You know, some days you just always remember yeah. in your career. October 17, 2009 was the Texas-Oklahoma football game. And that was the first time we'd actually extended light rail to the uh, State Fair of Texas and the Cotton Bowl. And we knew we were going to get a lot of rides. It's a big rivalry, big game. Oh, yeah. And uh, we knew we were going to get some ridership. And, and everybody was really saying, got to take DART. That's the best way to get there. It was one of those situations where we probably oversold, the region probably oversold it. Okay. And we weren't prepared for it. And the day came and we anticipated maybe 50,000 people riding the, the train to the game that day. And we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 150,000 people. Oh. You know, we had a train breakdown, <laughs> of course, in the process. Oh, yeah. You could have you walked from train to train wow. and gotten there quicker than you could on the train that day. And I talked to the employees afterwards. The media had a field day for a week. Most of the business community and the elected officials said, we know you're going to fix this. So they weren't too concerned about it. They wanted to make sure I was going to fix it. Yeah. But they weren't too concerned about it. I talked to our employees and I said, you know, this didn't go well for us. And they said, Gary, you know what you didn't do? We didn't take advantage of all of our services. We didn't take advantage of all the modes mm -hmm. that we offer. We didn't include the bus. Right, just put them on the, the light rail. Yeah. We put everybody on the light rail and it didn't work. 
Now, you haven't read about uh, any fiascos since 2009 uh, because now we, we uh, pretty You've consistently, integrated well. we've integrated it. We consistently carry somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 170,000 people alone on that Saturday. So you got light rail, you got a big bus system. Right. And, and what else do you have? We have a commuter rail. Okay. We have streetcar. The other thing that we're, we're starting to integrate is microtransit. Uh-huh. We call it GoLink. And, you know, Paul, when you look at our industry, we haven't changed for the last hundred years. I mean, yeah, there's been a few things here and there as far as it's private sector and then it's right. public sector. And yeah, but trains and buses have been here for almost a hundred years and we haven't changed. And the other thing is that when we think of customer service, we think, well, we're going to put a bus route here. We're going to put a train there and we're going to tell people where we are. We're going to be polite. We're going to smile. We're going to keep it clean. But that's our version of customer service. We never really ask the customer, what do you want? What is most important to Paul Comfort in getting from point A to point B? What does your life really require for that journey? And that's where Dart's going in the future. That's wonderful. As, as we look to the future, it's really kind of understanding what does our customer want? We don't want to be the bus and train company of tomorrow. We want to be the mobility manager, uh, the mobility integrator for our entire region. We want to make sure that folks throughout the, the North Texas region have the opportunity to really pick their mode of transportation, whether they want to drive their car, get on a bus, ride a train, ride Uber, ride a Lyft, ride a scooter. As you saw, we got lots yeah, of scooters. Yeah. And Maybe. that's what you're doing with your app, right? And, and, and we're doing that all through our uh, GoPass app. So GoPass app is about four and a half years old. Okay. And I, and I laugh all the time. You know, in normally in the app world, they're updating their app, you know, every week, every right. month. Right, yeah. So it took us a little longer. We, we introduced it four years ago. Our first update was uh, this past May. Uh, <laughs> okay. and, and we did two very important things in May. One was we had a cash option. Uh, so... Most of the time, when you have an app that you're buying tickets on, like we did, you have to tie your credit card to it. Some people don't have a credit card. Some people don't trust tying their credit card to mm-hmm. an app. So we partnered with almost a 1,000 retail outlets in North Texas, and people can walk into that retail outlet. They can give them cash, scan their GoPass app, and then they add that money to their GoPass wallet. Okay. And so... Now they have a cash option. They don't need a credit card the unbanked. The second thing that we did back in May that was incredibly important was fare capping. And it doesn't sound very Mm -hmm. exciting, but, you know, the the low-income folks will pay more for services than anybody else in our society. And that includes transit. Unfortunately, the thing that most of them depend on to get to those better jobs, to get to the hospital, to get to wherever they're going— We've never cracked that nut. So when now with the GoPass app, it will first, it will find the most, uh, the least expensive fare for you. Whatever your journey does during the course of that day, it'll find the least expensive combination Mm -hmm. of fares. The second thing though that'll do is when you hit the 16th day of the month of day passes, then it's free the rest of the month. And that's what our monthly pass is. You're paying for 16 days and then the rest of the month is okay. free. So a monthly pass is $80. Most low-income people have to buy their fares one day at a time. Mm-hmm. So they never get the benefit of being in a rewards program, essentially. Right. Right. And 
September was the first month we implemented that. We had almost 700 people achieve a monthly pass. And you think about this. Uh, if someone goes to work Monday through Friday, they're at the grocery store on Saturday and church on Sunday, by achieving that monthly pass now, they're saving between $60 and $80 a month. That might not sound like a lot to some folks, or some for someone that's figuring out how to how to, to make ends meet, how to buy groceries, how to put a roof over their family's head, that eight hundred to a thousand dollars a year is huge. It's transformational, and so we're yes. really excited about that. That's wonderful. Now, Go Pass three is where we're headed, and we'll actually finish our development at the end of December. We'll roll out the soft launch in January. But what you'll see with GoPass 3.0 and, and the subsequent uh, uh, evolutions of GoPass 3.0 is tying all the different modes together. So you can go to the GoPass app and it, tell it where you are and where you want to go, and it will give you all your choices, whether it be a car, Uber, Lyft, train, bus, or a combination. It'll all be on one app. All on one app. It'll tell you what the, the shortest trip is uh, time-wise. It'll tell you what the least expensive trip is, and then you get to pick. So you get the, the range of opportunities, and it'll merge things together. So unlike what we know Google today, you pick, oh, okay, I'm going to take transit, I'm going to walk, I'm going to take a car. This merges things together based on your criteria, based on what's important to you. Uh, and then you get to pick, and you get to pay for those services on our app. So that's pretty cool. And so all the back office so somebody pays you, and then you have to pay the right. We'll lift sort or we'll, whatever. We'll, yeah, we'll okay. have we'll have a, a back office engine that will sort out the payments, right. and make sure everybody gets paid. But it's that that ability to to really let the customer figure out what is most important to you. And and we think from a customer service standpoint, letting the customer decide what they want is uh, is pretty cool. That is. So it reminds me, you being a background in architecture, probably heard the story, but there was some architects planning a college campus and they want, they waited before they put in the sidewalks to see where the kids would walk, right? right? right. See where the people will go. Yeah. And then they put the sidewalks in where the, where the pathways where were on the, the grass, were. right? Ab so that's kind of what you're doing. You're letting the customer choose. A absolutely, that's yeah. exactly what we're doing. Let the customer figure out if, and quite frankly, if they want to take an Uber trip and not ride the train and bus, Okay, fine, but if I drive everybody through my app, regardless of where they're going for their transportation needs, inevitably, they're going to pick buses and trains at some point. But the point is, is everybody's coming through the Dart app yeah. to do that. Always well, the data you'll get will be amazing. Oh, the, That'll help you plan your bus routes, right? Won't it? Won't yeah. It? So it's always a little scary when I get up in the morning and I look at my phone and my phone says, okay, if you're going to drive to where you always go this time of day, yeah, it's right, going to right. take 35 minutes. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And so what we want to do is tie the traffic information into our app also. Ah, so when you get up in the morning, it can be real. And it says, okay, if you go where you always go this time of day, if you take the highway, it's going to take you 50 minutes because there's an accident today. If you take transit or this combination of other modes of services, it'll take you 30 minutes. And here's how much it's gonna to cost to do that. Now, the, the trick is, is assigning a value to getting in your personal car too, right. because that's not free. I said the other day, uh, as I was explaining this to a group of people, and I said, and of course, we all know highways aren't free either. And everybody kind of looked at me and said, 
Well, yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, to you, but not to the taxpayer. Yeah. Well, no, they're not. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, so you know, it's uh, highways are subsidized, absolutely, just yeah. like transit. And of course, as yeah. we know, Uber and Lyft today are subsidized, absolutely, yeah. by their investors. Yes. But isn't that funny? People don't realize that yeah. that people are concerned about transit being subsidized. Well, the highways are subsidized a hundred percent, unless yeah. you're on a you know HOV lane or something you have to pay for. Right. So, will you eventually, Gary, go to like a monthly subscription for people, like they've done in Finland? You know, we've talked about that. Of course, you know, we've looked at Helsinki, we've looked at Vienna. Helsinki's looking at us now. Oh, is that right? Yeah, actually, Helsinki's is con they've contacted us and said, okay, tell us about the Go Pass. Because our app is is actually fully integrated. Okay. Theirs is not. Uh, right, that's right. I just read an article about that. Yeah, theirs yeah. is not. So yeah. as we look to the future, of course, autonomous vehicles, everybody says, well, autonomous vehicles, it's going to be the end of transit. Well, of course, it's not going to be the end yeah. of transit. You know, we've all seen the slide. I saw it in my presentations. You got the 40 cars with the 40 people. You got 40 autonomous cars with 40 people. <laughs> right, yeah. You got 40 uh, uh, TNCs with 80 people. Right. They'll all fit on a bus. And one bus, yeah, yeah they exactly. all fit on the one bus. And ownership may change. Right. Congestion won't change. Right. And, and, uh, and someone said, well, you're going to be able to squeeze those autonomous vehicles closer together. Yeah, but what's going to happen is because of the convenience of it, we're going to take more trips now. So you're going to have more congestion, perhaps. That's right. Uh, and, and as my MPO says, Gary, we're going to see car occupancy rates fall below one for the first time in history. Think about that for Empty a minute. cars driving around. Empty cars driving around. Clogging the roads. Clogging the roads. Well, the leadership you're taking, though, Gary, in this is so important. Uh, just this morning, I posted an article on LinkedIn about Uber now trying to do the app to include everything. So these private companies are coming in right. and they're trying to take over the role of mobility as a service. Sure. When really there's no protection then for low income people. Right. There's no there's no guarantees if you get if you get bumped off there like you can get bumped off Facebook or Twitter now, you know, if you say the wrong thing. Well, transit's for everyone and and so there's all these concerns if Public transit agencies are not the aggregators. Talk to that a little bit about why you think that's so important. It certainly is important. And, you know, we're not against or for any particular company. We're really for the people. Right. We're really looking out for, for making sure people have choices. And that's what it's all about. If, if someone wants to ride a TNC, if they want to ride the bus, train, if you know, for whatever reason, if they want to ride one of those scooters down there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> John's done that. <laughs> <laughs> Just be safe and stay yeah. away from buses and trains. But uh, it's giving people a choice. So as we see, some of these other companies are trying to, to make sure they offer all the services on their app. What they're really doing is controlling your choices. That's right. They're, they're driving you toward a single market, mm -hmm. a monopoly in effect, where it's easy. And because we are who we are, we love easy and we love convenience. And so our job at Dart is to make it just as easy to have those choices, to make it just as easy to be able to pick between or combine different things and, and pay attention to making sure everybody has a choice, making sure that people have the best access to the best paying jobs, that they can get to the grocery store when they need to get to, despite or regardless uh, where they live in a particular community. Because as we know, some TNCs don't serve the entire community. They won't go to this part of the community or that part. You know, the one thing that you can say about transit is we're in the community 
every single day, 365 days of the year. We are the one constant, the one consistent that people can say. I mean, you know, okay, we, maybe it takes a little longer to get where you want to go on transit, but we're always there. Uh, mm -hmm. We never turn our back on the people and we never look the other direction. We're always going to be there. And that's why we need to step up and be the aggregator, yes. the integrator for all mobility choices. And, you know, as we look to the future, who are our partners looking to the future? You know, it's it's not the bus company anymore or the rail. I mean, they're still our partners, certainly. But our partners now are people like Visa or Apple or Toyota, Ford Motor Company. Those are the people that we're starting to talk to and work with on what mobility really looks like for the future. It's incredibly exciting. What role do you think the city governments or transit agencies would have in regulating these new mobility options? So not talking about putting them on your app, but you know how some of these um, scooter companies have come in and just dumped thousands of scooters all over the streets. Right. Is there a role for government? Should government step up or transit agencies? That's an interesting uh, concept. Obviously, uh, living in the United States where it's the... Uh, land of the free, home, land the of the free <laughs> home, the brave, exactly. Yeah. So I'm not so sure that, that certainly transit has a role in regulating, but it was interesting to watch the, the dockless bikes in Dallas because city council said, we're going to be hands off. Okay. We're going to let the market control this. So what happened is we had five dockless bike companies uh, within a very short period of time come to Dallas. We had 25,000 dockless bikes in the downtown area. They were everywhere. Mm. We had bike litter. Um, you couldn't walk down the sidewalk without stepping over bikes. And when you get to our platforms and our bus stops, it was the same thing. Mm. So what we started doing is we said, we're not going to regulate you, but we're going to say we want your bikes within this designated area on a platform. And if you don't put them there, then we're going to put them in our yard and you can come get them there. But, uh, but w that was really how we dealt with it. Now, the interesting thing is those 25,000 bikes, are gone. People, really? They're gone. I mean, you may find them. If you go hunt yeah. for a dockless bike out there today, yeah. you might find one, but odds are you won't find Isn't one today. It? I've seen that all over the country. They're, They've skipped right over and gone to these uh, scooters the now. scooters. And, yeah. and people are saying that the scooters are, are going to go away and we're going to have motorized bicycles back. Okay. And, uh, now, Interesting. Who knows you know, I, I don't know, but, but I yeah. do see, I see people. So the market handled itself there in a sense. The market handled itself. So from a transit agency perspective, all I really want to do is make sure that my platforms uh, are safe and that people can move up and down the platform. Mm -hmm. And if that means me saying you can only park your scooters or bikes in this designated area, then that's what we'll do. Okay. Um, but beyond that, it's really not, I don't see it as our role. So your app is a great new innovation. In our last remaining minutes here, what's next for Dart generally, and where are you headed? Well, as, as we look at what the app is really going to do for us, that really is going to set the tone for the future. We're going to have a lot more integration. Certainly things like consolidating bus routes and, and, and having higher frequency bus routes, that's something that we're all doing. Yes. But, but we're really looking beyond that and how we integrate all the different modes. You know, looking at uh, those areas that are a little bit less dense, or maybe we don't have the ridership on the fixed route that we do and doing the on-demand. Right. You know, I had a vendor in the other day, and, you know, Paul, you've been in the business for a while, and people say, uh, used to say, well, you tell me where you want to go a week ahead of time and we'll get you there. And then it was, yeah. tell me where you want to go 24 hours and we'll get you there. Right. And I, I told the vendor and they were saying, 
you know, give us a day and we can get you there. I said, if you can't do it in 10 minutes, uh, it's not worth doing. And that's where we are in our society. Everything right. has to be done in 10 minutes now. Right. And transit is no different. Transportation is no different. So when we do on-demand, app-based on-demand services, our response time metric is 10 minutes. And we're working down to eight minutes. So that's the, that's the uh, future. Huh? That's the future. And I love how you are keeping the focus right where it belongs on the customer. Absolutely. Not on the buses, not on the regulations, not on anything else, focused on the end user. Well, we kind of need the customers <laughs> at the end of the day. Thank you, Gary. Gary Thomas, what a leader for our industry. Thank you so much for sharing your vision of where we need to be focused and where we're headed in our industry. Thank you, Paul. It's right. a pleasure to be here today. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.